the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, I, I understand, I know that this is a prophetic statement attributed to Jesus concerning how he trusted the Father in spite of all the opposition, all the hostility he experienced, especially knowing that this hostility would eventually lead to the horrors of his crucifixion. But by way of application, it also illustrates for us how we personally should follow Christ's example by having the same kind of trust in God. That prophetic statement was in Psalm 16, which the Apostle Peter quoted in his sermon on Pentecost, which we find in Acts chapter 2. In verse 25 and 26, we read, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. Doesn't that remind you just a bit of Psalm 23? When we trust Christ, we never walk alone. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is guiding us in a series of lessons from Acts chapter 2 as we look at the inspired sermon that Peter preached on the day that he and the other believers in Jerusalem received the Holy Spirit. Peter talked about how Jesus' miracles, his death, and his resurrection proved that he was the Messiah. Another proof was the fact that Jesus could face death joyfully because he knew he would soon be back with the Father. It's the same attitude we should have. Listen as Pastor Steve explains. Now once again, let's go back to Acts, to Peter's, to Peter's sermon. Acts 2, verse 24. He says, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. What a great statement. Let me explain. Having just stated in the previous verse that Jesus died both by the foreknowledge of God's predetermined plan as well as at the hands of sinners, Peter now makes a most stunning statement, certainly stunning to the crowd that he was addressing, that Jesus, though dead, rose from the dead. You and I are used to this. I guarantee you this crowd of Jewish people, thousands of them, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was not used to hearing those words. But more, listen, this is more than a mere factual statement about Jesus rising from the dead. Notice how Peter puts it. He says that it was God who raised him up. He didn't just walk out of the tomb. It was God who did this. That's important because in saying this, Peter is telling this crowd that God demonstrated his approval of Jesus by raising him from the dead. Notice exactly how Peter puts it. He explains God's work in the resurrection of Jesus as, and I quote, putting an end to the agony of death. 
Now, the Greek word that is translated agony is actually birth pains or birth pangs. So what Peter is literally saying is that in raising Jesus from the dead, God was freeing him from the birth pains of death. In other words, just like the the birth pains of a woman in labor are temporary, so Jesus' pain in death was temporary too, soon giving way to the resurrection. Someone put it this way. They said, the abyss can no more hold the redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold the child in her body. But if you look at this verse again, you're going to see that Peter isn't content to just say that it was God who freed Jesus from the agonizing birth pangs of death. Notice the rest of this verse. Because as we read on, we see that Peter gives the reason why God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And it's important that you follow his argument. He says, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter is telling us that it was an impossibility for Jesus to stay dead. Impossible. God would not allow him to remain dead. And this, Peter says, is why he raised him back to life. Why was this the case? Why was it not possible for death to hold Jesus? Listen closely. The reason that it was impossible For Jesus to be held by the power of death is because the Old Testament scriptures said that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And the scripture cannot be broken. Whatever God says will happen always happens because God is always faithful to keep his word. In other words, just as it was by God's sovereign, predetermined plan that Jesus would die by the hands of sinners, so it was by God's sovereign, predetermined plan that he would be raised from the dead, and nothing can prevent his sovereign plan from happening. Therefore, it was impossible for Jesus to be held by the power of death. The Messiah had to be raised from the dead just as the scriptures declared And since Jesus is the Messiah, he could not remain dead. Now, I want you to know this is Peter's reasoning. And we know this is precisely what the Apostle Peter is thinking because, note this, he immediately proceeds to quote from Scripture. He quotes from Psalm 16, and that is the biblical basis that supports his whole argument Let me read it to you, verses 25 through 28. So understand what he's saying. He's telling us that death could not hold Christ. It was impossible. The Messiah had to rise from the dead, and it's impossible because the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, say he has to rise from the dead. Now he's going to refer to those Old Testament scriptures. Starting in verse 25. For David, King David says of him, says of who? Says of Jesus, the Messiah. I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he's at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You've made known to me the ways of life. You'll make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, as I said, these verses are all from Psalm 16, a psalm written by King David about 1,000 years before Christ's first coming. But although David penned this psalm, it wasn't about him. It was about the coming Messiah 
and his resurrection. In fact, if you will look at the beginning of verse 25, you'll see this clearly because Peter says, for David says of him, meaning that what David wrote, he wrote prophetically about Jesus as Messiah. He wasn't writing about himself. But note this, the way, and this is important that you understand this, the way that David wrote these truths about the Messiah was by speaking in the first person, meaning that he spoke as if Messiah himself was saying these words. Because in reality, Messiah was saying these words through David. And the basic message that David wrote concerning the Messiah is that he is telling us prophetically, he looked ahead, and the Messiah, in light of his upcoming death, David tells us, as he looked ahead and he he wrote of the Messiah, the Messiah, in light of his upcoming death, he isn't worried. Because he knows that though he will die, he will not remain dead. He will be quickly resurrected from the dead. Not sometime in the distant future but quickly raised from the dead. Now, that is the big picture of David's words. But I want you to know, I want to pause here and go over some important details of these statements that are attributed to the Messiah concerning how he faced death and his confidence in being resurrected. First of all, in verse 25, the Messiah expresses, note this, his trust in the Lord. Regardless of his trials, he says, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken, will not be, be trembling in fear, he means. Now, what he means by, by this is that he has chosen, Messiah has chosen in his earthly ministry to focus on God the Father, not his circumstances. And in doing so, he says he'll not be shaken with fear, because he knows that God is at his right hand, which means that God is protecting him. In the ancient world, the right hand was symbolic of being protected because if someone was protecting you, they would stand at your right side so that if you were attacked, they could just cover you with their shield and their right hand then would be free to fight and protect you and defend you. So the right hand is simply a symbolic way of speaking of being protected. According to David, the Messiah says that he isn't fearful because, and this is important, he has chosen by faith, not by sight, but by faith to see the Lord as always being in his presence. Meaning that by faith, Jesus always had an awareness that God the Father was with him. That he was never abandoned. And in seeing God's presence by faith, he sees him at his right hand, protecting him. And that's what keeps him from trembling with fear. Now, I I understand, I know that this is a prophetic statement attributed to Jesus concerning how he trusted the Father in spite of all the opposition, all the hostility he experienced, especially knowing that this hostility would eventually lead to the horrors of his crucifixion. But by way of application, it also illustrates for us how we personally should follow Christ's example by having the same kind of trust in God, which means that by faith, we also need to see him as always being with us, standing by us at our right side, 
ready to protect us, not allowing anything to happen to us that isn't in his perfect will. We just sang about that. We've never walked alone. You may have felt like you walked alone, but you never did. He was always there. See, this is the kind of confidence, a confident belief that God is with you, that he will not forsake you, even in the darkest moments of life, but that he's in your presence all the time. That's the kind of faith that's going to give you joy in the midst of all kinds of problems and all kinds of difficult circumstances, even life-threatening circumstances. And I say that because this is what David goes on to say, gave the Messiah great joy as he faced the greatest of all trials, his death. Notice verse 26. Therefore, as a result of this, this confidence that the Lord is always in my presence, therefore my heart, he says, was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Now this is, folks, this is a tremendous statement because it tells us that Messiah was a man who was characterized by joy. And he expressed his joy by using his mouth to verbally rejoice. In other words, Jesus was a happy person. We don't often think of that. But Jesus, this is exactly what David is telling us. Jesus was a happy man who often expressed his happiness by singing songs of praise. Our Lord was not a gloomy figure. He was not downhearted. He was not a melancholy individual. He didn't go through life saying, woe is me. Even though the horrors of the cross were always hanging over him. This is what David means when he writes of the Messiah saying, moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. That is to say, even though he knew the kind of horrific death that was soon to come upon him, he still was joyful, still joyful because he lived in hope. And as we'll see in a moment, that hope that he's talking about, that's the hope of the resurrection. Now, this, is, this attitude of joy that characterized Jesus as he faced death That is to be our attitude as we face the inevitability of our own deaths. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you should not be fearful of death. Nor should you go through life with a morbid attitude because death gets closer every day. You are to be joyful. You are to be full of faith and hope because by faith you know That God is with you in your very presence at your right hand protecting you. And when the time comes for you to die, he has promised to raise you from the dead. Which is what David proceeded to say was the Messiah's belief and the basis for his joyful hope. Look at verse 27. He said, because you will not, this is why he's so hopeful, this is why he's joyful. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. The reason that the Messiah is a man of great joy and hope is because he knows that God will not abandon his soul to Hades. So let's stop here and think about this. What does this actually mean? We read the word Hades. He didn't say hell, he said Hades. Well, the word Hades is used in a couple of different ways in the Bible, depending on its context. It can either mean the temporary, not permanent, but temporary place of punishment for unbelievers after they die, before they are cast into the lake of fire, which is hell. It could mean that, or 
It can mean simply the realm of the dead, the grave, the pit. Now, the way that David has the Messiah using the word Hades in this psalm, in Psalm 16, is that he means the abode or the realm of the dead. He's not talking about a place of punishment. So then what the Messiah is saying, that the reason he is so joyful, the reason he is so full of hope, even as he faces death, is because he knows that when he dies, God will not leave him in the realm of the dead, meaning that he will resurrect him from the dead. And he knows that this resurrection will take place very soon, soon after death, not, as I said, in some distant prophetic future. And that's why he follows up this statement about not being abandoned in Hades with the next statement in this verse. Notice, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. In other words, he will not allow his body to experience the normal, natural, decaying process that takes place by lying for a long time in a grave. It certainly, certainly was fulfilled by the fact that Jesus did not experience, his body did not experience decay and corruption for the brief time he was lying dead for only three days in a tomb. Now, once again, I remind you that this statement is about Christ's death. It's about Christ's resurrection. But it would be appropriate for us at this point to consider what happens to a believer in Christ when they die. And the reason I want to stop and go over this is because over the years, I have come to realize that many Christians are unsure of what happens to them the moment they die. And they're, they're, not, they're not sure of the relationship between their deaths and their resurrection. I have been asked this question many times, questions related to this. What, what about the resurrection? What about if I'm with the Lord, am I with him in my new body? So, so let me explain. Let me explain. The Bible teaches that the very moment a Christian, a true Christian, one who has trusted Christ for salvation, that very moment that Christian dies, their soul, and I'm using soul just like I would use the word spirit, so I may use it interchangeably, their soul, their spirit, that immaterial part of them is immediately brought into the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. Immediately. There is no purgatory. There is no waiting room. Immediately. We know this from Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body means that that immaterial part of you, when you die, it leaves you and goes to be with Christ. Paul said, that's what I would prefer, to be absent from the body, the real me, the spirit, the soul, to be absent from this body to be at home with the Lord. The apostle again said in Philippians 1, starting in verse 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for you. But I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better, Paul said. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul said, in my own mind, I'm not sure which I really want because I would prefer, it would be better for me if I died. Remember, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. If I die, I can depart immediately this world and be with Christ. But I know that it'll be better for you, you Philippians, if I stay so I can minister to you. 
And then this great statement in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. The very first martyr, Stephen, is being murdered. They picked up stones. They're killing him. These are not little pebbles. If you've ever been to Israel, these are not little pebbles. They are pounding the man. Life is ebbing from him and We read this, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Not, I know I have to wait a lot of years. No, receive my spirit now. Now. So that's what happens. The moment a Christian dies, their soul immediately goes to be with Christ. But what happens to the body? Well, your body doesn't go there yet. The body is buried. And then it begins to rot and decay, or it's cremated, where it immediately is decayed into ashes. But while the body decays, we in our souls, the real us, we're with Christ, awaiting the resurrection of our bodies, at which time, according to 1 Corinthians 15, I won't take the time to go through that, but you want to know the details about the resurrection and the body, read that. We await the resurrection of our bodies, at which time God will give us a new body that will be reunited with our soul. And this new, resurrected, glorious body will be perfectly suited for all of eternity. And while we don't know a great deal about our new resurrected bodies, what what they'll be like, we do know, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and some other places in the New Testament, that it will be similar to Christ's resurrected body in that it will never perish, it will not be tainted with sin, it will be strong, it will not be weak. Will we be able to identify each other? Sure, sure. They could identify Christ. Philippians 3.21 says, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. This simply means when you come up with all of your questions about, well, what about my body will be in the grave so long there'll be nothing to it? Or what about people who've been blown up or they're thrown into the ocean? What Paul is saying is don't worry about that. God, by his power, is going to put it all together. He's going to transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How is he going to do by the exertion of his power that he has even to subject all things to himself? It's no problem for the Lord. So don't worry about it. So if you're a believer in Jesus, then like your Lord, you don't need to be afraid of death. Because you have been promised, you have God's word for it, that on the other side of death is immediate, perfect fellowship with God in heaven, as well as the promise that someday you will have a new and glorious body that is perfectly suited for you for all of eternity. Now, the only difference between your resurrection and Jesus' resurrection is that God promised him, as David tells us, that his resurrection would come soon after his death which it did three days later, so that his flesh did not experience any decay or corruption. We don't know when the resurrection of believers is coming in terms of a date. We don't know that. But Jesus knew and spoke of his resurrection happening soon after his death so that his body would not experience any decay. 
And as a result of his confidence that he would be quickly raised from the dead, notice in verse 28 what David tells us that Messiah says. Because the Messiah, fully expecting to be raised from the dead so quickly, knows that in his resurrected body, he will experience, watch this, the greatest joy as he fellowships with God in heaven. Look at verse 28. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That same promise holds true for everyone who trusts Christ as their Savior. When we die, we go immediately into the presence of God, where our hope and joy will be complete and eternal. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse. Our teacher for these daily Bible studies is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Discover more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, you can get the address and service times on the website or by calling 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. If God's been blessing you through these programs and you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, you can do so by phone at the number I just gave, or you can give conveniently and securely through the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Each gift makes a big difference, and we're thankful for all of you who help us stay on the air. There's also a message archive page where you can listen to hundreds of previous broadcasts. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.